We're in our second sermon. If you want to open up to Malachi chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. We're on our, in a new, ser- a new sermon series, Getting Life Right. And there's no surprise where we're going because there's a chalkboard behind as part of the stage here. But last week we looked at getting worship right, which I think is the, the first and foremost thing that we need to get right in life. To make sure that we are worshiping the Lord. As we mentioned that quote by Keller, we don't get to choose to worship. We only get to choose what to worship and how to worship. And we're called to worship the Lord and to do so with a sense of the intimacy of him as father and yet the awe and reverence of him as king. Well, today we're looking at getting ministry right, getting ministry right. Um, And when I say ministry, I'm not here talking about pastors. Uh, Ministry is service. That's what the word ministry means. When we minister to one another, we're serving one another. We're helping each other. Uh, Ministry is how we relate to one another, that all of us, friends, are called to be ministers, because all of us are called to do the work of ministry. That's very clear in the scriptures. Uh, We're not all called to be pastors. I've heard that before. Somebody said to me, well, we're all pastors. Well, that's not true. A pastor in scripture is a very specific office, Uh, but we are all called to be ministers, ministering to one another. In fact, in uh, the Reformation, there was a, a a theological doctrine that I think is essential that's going to apply to what we're going to talk about today, and that is the priesthood of all believers. That actually all Christians are priests. A priest is one who intercedes between us and God, who ministers for the people to God, and ministers for God to the people. And in Christ, we don't need an intercessor because Christ himself is our Savior and Redeemer who has reconciled us to God. So we minister God's word and God's love towards one another. In fact, we want to make this very clear. So uh, some of you guys were in our bylaw meeting last week. We talked a bit about membership, but this is how it describes the role of members in our projected, our proposed new bylaws. The membership is responsible for the ministry of the church, prayerfully carrying out the vision, mission, and core values of the church by using their spiritual gifts, participating in the life of the church, and contributing to the work of ministry. Ministry is not in the hands of pastors, it's in the hands of the whole congregation. And when you think about it, that multiplies the effect of ministry. See, some people have a very different view of ministry. They look at the pastors, maybe the elders, as those who are doing ministry, and the congregation as those who are receiving that ministry. So if you look at it that way, you only have about two to maybe seven ministers here at our church, and really only about 100 to 150 people who are being ministered to. But if you kind of have a paradigm shift and you look at this totally differently and say, all of us are called to do the work of ministry, now you have 150 people doing ministry, not only to one another, but also to our community and beyond. That's the picture of scripture. We're all called to do ministry. That's why it's so important, friends, in our lives to get ministry right. And we're going to look at Malachi. We're going through the book of Malachi. We're in chapter 2. Verses 1 through 16, and as I mentioned, Malachi has got the sort of scorched earth perspective, uh, not a a high view of what's going on in Israel at this time. Things are not well in Israel. So he's very harsh in his rebuke of them. Uh, But I think, as I said, as we read this book that's 2,500 years old, we see an immediate relevancy to us in the way we do ministry here today. 2, 1 through 16. We'll have it on, on the screen, too. And now, O priests... This command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, 
then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any who descend, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. The word of the Lord. That we're called to minister as priests, especially to our families. We're called to minister as priests, and especially to our families. There's a breakdown in your bulletin. There's going to be two main points, but two subpoints under those two main points, because he says the second thing. So there's two points here. The first is that we're called to minister as priests to God and people. So first, ministering well to God, ministering well to people. And then, second point, we're called to minister to our families in particular. And we minister well to our spouses, for those who are married, and minister well to our kids, for those who have kids. So we're starting here uh, with verses 1 through 12, looking at that we're called to minister as priests to God and people. And first, we minister well to God, that we are all, in a sense, priests. We're all, as we said, ministers in the sight of God, and a priest was a minister. And therefore, the priesthood of all believers, this applies to every Christian. Now, is there an, uh, an application specifically for pastors? Sure. I think there's an application for leadership in the church and that kind of thing, but I really think it applies to all Christians on verses 1 through 9. And then verses 10 to 12, he even says here, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? So he extends the application there to certainly refer to all of God's people, all of those who recognize God as Father, 
all who recognize him as creator. And what he does here is begins to talk about what a priest does in the sight of God. That the first and foremost responsibility of a priest is to minister to God, which is to serve God, or to minister in the sight of God, before God, always. And he begins to talk about Levi, and here he's not talking about the individual Levi in the Bible, because Levi actually existed before the priesthood, uh, but the earlier priesthood was filled with people who walked with God in peace and uprightness. They feared God with a, a holy fear. They stood in awe of his name. They were faithful to the Lord. They had integrity before God. He also says that they were called to be careful not to worship a foreign god. And he says they, the people have married the daughter of a foreign god. What he's talking about there is marriage is, is an often uh, a term often used in regards to idolatry. Uh, when you're unfaithful to God, you're, it's like being unfaithful to uh, a husband, a wife being unfaithful to a husband. We are the bride of Christ. And so when we turn to another god, we are in a sense committing adultery our God. That's the idea. They have turned to marry the daughter of a foreign God. They've turned to other gods, whether that's Baal or Molech or Asherah or all these ancient Canaanite gods and other gods of the nations. They have left the worship of the one true and living God. Friends, the point is, before you can minister to others, before you can learn to serve others, you look to minister before God. That's the priority. What is your relationship with God like? you walk with God. That's the common illustration uh, in Scripture, walking with God. And the idea is not, is your relationship with God perfect? Do you live in complete obedience? Uh, none of us do that, just understand that. But is it the priority of your life? Are you one who has the integrity of the earlier priesthood? Or are you like these hypocritical priests? Uh, it's interesting how graphic he is to describe what God, how God will treat these priests. He'll take the dung of the animal. You can imagine they're bringing all of these goats and sheep into the temple. There's going to be a lot of mess and a lot of smell. Not to mention, as they sacrifice these animals, they're pulling out the entrails, not to be too graphic here, which includes a lot of refuse. And he's saying, you, you priests, you dress in your, your fine, clean linen, and you look so holy to the people. Let me take the dung of these animals and smear it all over you so they can see what your heart is really like. To make your hypocrisy stand out and people can see what you're like. That's his point here, friends. Is your first and foremost your relationship with the Lord in order? Are you firm in your faith? You believe the gospel. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to start. Maybe some here uh, don't know the gospel. The gospel is that God has sent his only son, the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross in our place, that our faith is based on that message. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the scriptures. All of the Bible points, all the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. All of the New Testament points backward to Jesus. He's the one who has come to redeem us as his people. I mentioned communion in the beginning. Even communion and baptism, which we'll have soon enough here, even those point to the gospel. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. Baptism is our death to the old self and our resurrection to, a, to the new self united now with Jesus firm in your faith in the good news, in the gospel itself. And friends, are you walking with God daily? And, and that idea of walking kind of brings to mind that there are ups and downs, that there are turns and difficulties and twists to the Christian life and cuts and bruises and burns at times. But are you still on the path 
walking with the Lord. Before we can minister this outward to serve one another, this has to come first. Make sure you're taking it in. Are you yourself nourished before you seek to feed others? You've heard this before, probably before. Before you can seek to make other people happy, are you yourself happy? I mean, what kind of person who's not very happy can make other people happy, right? It's like a, a physician who walks in the room and he's hundreds of pounds overweight and he's smoking a, a cigarette and says, all right, we need to talk about your health, right? There's something wrong there. Is your walk with the Lord strong and firm? Before we look outward, let's look inward. I like what uh, John Owen, a famous uh, Puritan writer, said, I think truly that no man preaches that sermon well to others that doth not first preach it to his own heart. He who doth not feed on and digest and thrive by what he prepares for his people, he may give them poison as far as he knows. For unless he finds the power of it in his own heart, he cannot have any ground of confidence that it will have power in the heart of another. That's not just for preaching, that's for all of us. Are you feeding on God's word so that you know when, when you're talking to somebody else about the Lord and you're ministering to them, that you've eaten of that same food first and foremost. Let's make sure that's true of us. Let's make sure that's true of us here at First Baptist, that our, our theology is sound. That's one of the things we're doing in our new bylaws too, uh, but we've, we've redone our statement of faith. We've included a lot more scripture into our statement of faith to make sure we're well-grounded. Uh, we're grounded on the essentials. We're not going, going into the non-essentials. We leave a lot of room for that, but are we solid in our theology? And is our whole structure sort of based on what the scriptures teach about membership and eldership and all of these different issues? Is our worship strong? We talked about this, of course, last week, but are we looking to God that we're meeting with him first and foremost? Are you at times drawn to tears when you worship, friends? Is it based on a solid, a solid ground of the gospel? Like we sang earlier before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, or how deep the Father's love for us. Are we building our worship on the solid gospel and enjoying God in relationship? Is the preaching solid? Are we receiving good preaching? I hope so, because I'm a primary preacher, but I know we have other people who come in for uh, to preach at times, and one thing I've, I think I've noticed about this church, we have a pretty good high standard of preaching. So if I, I feel like if I brought in somebody who did not preach very well, well, didn't preach the word very well, I would hear from you guys. You would say, Rick, who was that guy you brought in? He didn't teach us the word. I like that. We have a high standard of preaching. Sometimes we bring in somebody and people say, Rick, I wish you preached more like that guy. So I don't, I don't mind. I don't take offense at that. I say, that's great. I want to bring in, I want to feed you the best food I could possibly find if I'm not around. We want that. Like Terry Dorsett the other, last month did an outstanding job of preaching us the scriptures. Friends, are we solid in our preaching. And friends, is our prayer consistent? Are we regularly in conversation with the Lord? We go vertical before we go horizontal. Are we, are we constantly in conversation with the Lord? Isn't it interesting? I'm sure everyone here, you could sit down with a good friend and you could kill an hour over a cup of coffee with no problem. Two hours over a cup of coffee with no problem. But to sit down and speak to the Lord for 15 minutes a day is the biggest struggle. Why is that? Talking to God should be something that comes natural to us as his children and as his people. The priest's first job was to know God well. It doesn't end there, but it starts there. And then everything overflows from there. 
second sub-point there, minister well then to people. We'll minister well next to people. As he says here, uh, a, a priest guards his lips. He's careful with his instruction. He's careful with his message to other people because he wants to make sure, or she wants to make sure, sure for Christians today, who, again, the priesthood of all believers, as we minister to other people, that what we're saying about the Lord or about life is true and right. When you think about it, friends, instructing others can lead into two different things. One, evangelism, when you're talking to someone who doesn't know the Lord and you're helping them understand who God is and what God has done. You're sharing the good news with somebody who perhaps doesn't yet know him. Or it's discipleship. You're talking to somebody and helping them know the Lord more. Maybe somebody who already does believe in the Lord Jesus, but they're coming to a deeper, more solid relationship to them. That's what ministry is. It's ministering with our lips, partly, to one another. Either that's talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord and helping them to understand who he is, or discipling someone who already does know the Lord, that they might know him even more. Or does, do our lips cause folks to stumble, as he says here, that these priests are causing people to, to stumble. He's, they're leading people into sin with their words rather than drawing them to God. He ends by saying, this section by saying, that they're teaching, they're, is, they're only uh, showing a partial teaching of the word. They're not teaching the whole counsel of the Lord. They show partiality in their instruction. I think we can do the same thing, friends, where sometimes we only want to talk about the, the good parts of the Bible and not give people the whole picture of the scriptures. I was listening to this one Christian leader who was on Bill Marshall. What's that show on HBO there? Not recommending the show in any way. But every time Bill Marr asked him, well, what doesn't the Bible say this about sin? He would just say, well, yeah, but it says this about, you know, helping the poor. He said, well, doesn't it say this about God's judgment? He said, yeah, but it also says this about loving your neighbor. He was just unwilling to even deal with the difficult parts of Scripture. And so finally, Bill Maher, who was an atheist himself, said, you just want to pick and choose what you want out of the Bible. And he's absolutely right. If we only take what we want from the Scriptures, what are we doing? We're not actually teaching who God is. We're just creating a God based on what our own desires are. We're going to be faithful to his word. A priest is one was a faithful messenger. In fact, that was my, my whole doctoral thesis. That's what, it, that's what I wrote about. The herald, the preaching is heralded. We're speaking God's word clearly and rightly, even if we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily comfortable with it. Are we teaching people who God is? Friends, that's the sort of basis for any relationship. If you only allow God to tell you what you want to hear and what you like to hear, you don't have a relationship with God. You're just using the Bible as a good self-help book. But a relationship allows yourself to be challenged, to be pushed, to be uncomfortable at times as we seek to grow. He says also that they are faithless to one another. They broke covenant with each other, that Israel was not doing well at ministering to one another. Not just speaking to one another, but actually being faithful to care for each other. Jared's point is, after we take it all in, after we are we're right, vertically, things are, are right. Our worship is, is strong. It needs to come out after that. It needs to come out in its overflow. Jesus said the greatest. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the best and greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he quickly added, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It can't end with just your relationship with God. We're also seeking to minister to people. I think some Christians do miss this. Uh, their whole Christian life is all about listening to good sermons, <laughs> knowing lots of Bible trivia, and just basically being a theological egghead. You know? 
got all the facts in their head there. I'm a strong Christian because I know the Bible inside and out. That's not enough. The priest was called then to go and teach and tell others. The priest wasn't one who just locks himself in the temple and keeps away from everybody else. He's one who spends time with the people, caring for them, ministering to them. So this was a real challenge for me. I remember when I, I came out of seminary, I had all this theological knowledge all in my head. It's all right there. Um, and now I want to share it with others. And I was, uh, you know, I'd try to preach or teach a class. And I think I would just assume everybody knows everything. And I'd just be way over people's heads, which is basically to say I was boring. Okay, that was the problem. I, <laughs> I was boring. Some of you guys are like, Rick, you're still boring. I mean, that's true. I don't know. But when I came out of seminary, I would, I would use terms. And I, I didn't know how to break things down so it can be understood and they could hit people in their lives. Just one example. I remember I was teaching on a psalm. I was teaching a, a class on a, on a psalm. And I kept saying throughout the psalm, the psalmist, the psalmist says, and then the psalmist teaches here, and, and on and on. And at the end of the class, I thought it was a good class, and somebody said, Rick, what is a psalmist? And I realized I never even explained that a psalmist is the one who wrote the psalm. <laughs> you know, learning to just break things down so people can understand it. I like what uh, Spurgeon said. Christ said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Some preachers, however, put the food so high that neither lambs nor sheep can reach it. They have seemed to read the text, feed my giraffes, right? That's what it, it's not accessible to anybody. We want people to understand, friend, this is a real challenge and a real blessing if you're able to do this, to talk to somebody who maybe doesn't even know the Lord at all, and how to take the scriptures and break it down into simple chunks so that it can be understood and people can grasp what God is saying in his word. says, Brent, our job is to minister to people, to be with them. Uh, I remember I was reading this book. I brought it up here just to show you. It's called uh, The Hammer of God by a guy, a uh, pastor uh, named Bo. Uh, and he talks about, uh, it's a fictional story, but he talks about this young Dutch pastor. So this is in, uh, in Holland. I think it takes place in the 1800s. And he's at this group, this gathering of pastors. And uh, I think it's the end of the year or something. So they're all celebrating to, with one another. And he's recently out of theological studies. And he's uh, among them, and they're all celebrating and eating and having a good time together. And somebody shows up at the door late at night and says, there's a parishioner who is dying, and he is asking for a pastor or a clergy to come see him. And because he's the, at the bottom of the totem pole, he's sort of the new pastor, everybody says, we're going to send you. And he's all upset about that, but he has to go. And as he's riding there, and he finally goes into the house, and he sees a man dying. And the man is filled with fear, and he says, what can you tell me? about God to comfort me in my hour of death. And the Dutch pastor said, that's when he realized what ministry is really all about. What can I tell this dying man about God that can comfort his soul as he goes to meet him? And he becomes to land firmly on the gospel. That our hope is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Put your hope there and take comfort that as you face death and even judgment, you are free in Christ your hand. Friends, our job is to minister to people. Just as a little checkup on, on our church, uh, on First Baptist, I think that our church, when it comes to ministering to others, uh, we do a good job taking care of one another. That's my opinion. Um, we visit each other, we care for each other, we, we love each other. We do a good job of taking care of, of each other, people in this room. Um, and that's good. Give us an A plus on that. 
but we need to do a better job, is my assessment. And when I say we, I do mean you and I, all of us, on ministering to those who are outside of our church body. Ministering to our community to get engaged and involved in our city. I know we have some great ministries, Open Hearts Ministry, of course, that's their focus, feeding for feeding folks in our community and helping them, nursing home ministry, and there's many others as well. Friends, this is where we need to put more of our focus to think of how do we engage and minister right here in our own city. You know, I, I remember uh, doing youth ministry uh, years ago, and uh, just there were, I don't know, 20, 30 kids or something, and, and just sort of minister them weekly and every, every week. And now here we are years later, and I get to watch what God has done. Now, some of them are not walking with the Lord, to be honest. Others have grown immensely in the Lord and are walking strong in their faith. But here's the thing, friends. If you don't ever get out and sow, <laughs> using the, the farm illustration, you never get to watch growth. So here's my application. Sow as often and as much as you can, because the more seed you get out there of the word, the more you'll eventually see some that receive it and grow. And let me just say this. This is where the highest peaks of joy come. I was listening to John Piper was talking. His dad was a traveling evangelist, and he said, uh, he asked his dad, dad, you're the happiest man I know. Where does your joy come from? And his dad said, you go and travel around and watch people come to know Jesus for the first time. And then you'll know the joy that I have. And it's true, isn't it? Right? I think back in my life, people that I've been able, by God's grace, to lead to faith in Jesus, there's no, well, it's just, it, there's very few joys equal to the joy of watching someone who doesn't know Jesus come to faith in him. And that's one of the greatest joys that we can experience in this short life that God gives us. And how do you do that? You've got to get out and minister to those around us. Friends, help us. May the Lord help us to minister well to people, meaning not just people here, but also right in our community. And then we come to the second point, verses 13 to 16. That we're called to minister, as we said, as priests to God and to each other. We're called to minister to our families in particular. To our families in particular, 13 to 16. The second thing we do. And he says here that the people have come and they're weeping at the altar. And they're groaning and they're crying at the altar. And the reason why, he says, is because God's not accepting our offering. He's not answering our prayers. He, he doesn't seem to hear us. And God's answer through Malachi is, there's actually a very clear reason for this. And it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's not brain surgery. The reason why I'm not listening and answering your prayers is because you've been unfaithful to your spouse. That's the reason. You've been unfaithful to the wife of you. The big issue at that point in time where many of these Israelite men were leaving their Israelite wives from earlier marriages and marrying foreign women. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with marrying foreign women. The issue is they're marrying non-believing women. That was the issue. And the fact that they were leaving their current wives to do so. We actually have an example of uh, one of the most impressive marriages in Scripture is Ruth, who is a Moabite, who marries Boaz. She's a foreigner, but she has the same faith. So the application there, I think, is not to marry someone who doesn't know the Lord, because you'd be have a mixed marriage. You have some who believe, and someone who doesn't would be on the same page spiritually. But he says, "I'm stepping in because you've been unfaithful to your wives, to the wife of your youth." 
In fact, the same idea is found in the New Testament, by the way. If you think about this Old Testament, we see this in 1 Peter. Talking to husbands, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Same idea. The way you're treating your wives has led to the fact that God is no longer listening to your prayers. So treat your wife right and then come back and pray. That's the idea behind it. When you got married, you became one with your wife, he's saying. And now you're older and you're really strong. This is a hard word, I think, for Americans today. It's a hard word for Americans today. If you don't know the statistics, about 50% of marriages end in divorce. That is an insanely high number. You can basically flip a coin if you're guessing at someone's marriage, whether it will last to discern whether it will. That's a horrible statistic. I hope it's very different among strong Christians who follow the Lord. I know those who claim to be Christians, it's the same. They're different, 50%, 50%. But those who are truly walking with the Lord, I hope it's a much different percentage. But that's the idea behind it, right? You get older and you trade your wife in for what's the saying? The younger, prettier version, right? That's kind of what the Israelites were doing. God is saying here, you gave your word. You promised. You made a vow. And now you're carrying out what God has provided. I remember hearing the story of an old man who'd been married for like 50, 60 years, and somebody was asking him the secret of his marriage, and he said, you know, have you ever considered divorce? He's been married for 50, 60 years. Have you ever considered divorce? And the older man said, divorce. Never, never have I considered divorce. Murder, yes, but never divorce. <laughs> I think that's part of the secret. Actually, we got a picture here. We just recently did a renewal service for Jim and Teddy Hamill. Do we have that? There it is. And uh, with, look, look, if you see, there's a little photo bomber on the, uh, on the left there. So Phil Randall decided to get into that picture during picture time. But there's Jim and Teddy next to him right there and their kids in, in the back. What an awesome thing for us to celebrate 23 years of marriage through sickness and health with one another. Friends, I get the fact that we live in a broken and sinful world, so I'm not here to beat you up about your past. I know there's people who have all different types of uh, divorce and things like that in their background. I just want to encourage you going forward. Encourage you going forward to minister to our marriages going forward. Let's remember the gospel of grace. Let's remember that Jesus died for our sins, that there's no sin that's unforgivable. If there is some unfaithfulness in your past or messy and ugly divorces, whatever it is, there's grace, there's renewal, there's standing. Let's look forward. What can we do to raise up marriages, to help each other, celebrate marriage together as a church family? And for those who are single here, this is not a slight against you in the least. Actually, in the scriptures, 1 Corinthians says, those who are single actually have an advantage <laughs> over those who are married. In one sense, it is actually better he says, to be single than to be married. Because for a very simple, practical reason, if you're married, you got to devote most of your time or much of your time to serve and to minister to your spouse. Somebody who's single has more time to serve the Lord. So actually, he says, one is actually better than the other. And then he says, well, each has their own gift. So there's a gift of singleness and there's a gift of marriage. But we as a church want to raise up marriage, as is the application here in Malachi, to recognize and cherish long-lasting, committed marriages in our church. Friends, if you are married, love your spouse. Love your spouse 
and try and try. And if it's not going well, keep trying and trying and trying until your marriage is flourishing or it's over. One or the other. But try and try until one or the other has happened. The second sub-point here, we minister well to our kids. To our kids. Part of ministering to others is to minister to our kids. Verse 15, what was the one God seeking? Why does God make such a big deal about marriage? Well, one reason, at least the reason that Malachi gives us here, is for godly offspring. Godly offspring, the Greek word, uh, the Hebrew word zera here, godly offspring. I think offspring sounds like a very uh, technical term. I mean, it sounds like almost like a scientific term here. All he's talking about is good kids. That's why, right? God is looking for godly kids. That's why he wants long-lasting, faithful Christian marriages to be committed to one another, that he could produce, raise up the next generations, generation of kids. You know, the reality is anyone can come to know Jesus. You can come from the most broken family, and we've seen this again and again. Those who have come from horrible, uh, uh, from parents who had a horrible marriage, maybe none of them were believing, and yet they come to know Jesus. So understand that one other thing clearly. That being said, most Christians today come from Christian homes. That's just a statistical fact. Because God loves to work through most Christians are people who were raised by at least one Christian parent who loved them and taught them the scriptures, taught them the love of Jesus. And one of the reasons God loves marriage so much is for godly kids. You know, ministering to kids, ministering to children is a big deal in the Bible. <laughs> it's a really big deal in the Bible. Notice how family comes is part of, and actually really the first part of our ministry. We see this in the New Testament as well. One of the qualifications for an elder is what? He has to have his family in order. Not that his family's perfect, because then none of us would be qualified, but is he taking care of his family first? And if he's not, stop trying to take care of the church, go home and start taking care of your family again, because that is your first little church. <laughs> your, your wife and your kids, if you're a man, or your husband and your kids, and that's your first little church, and that's the, the first area of influence, that's your first ministry before any others, is taking care of your family. And I get the fact there are people in different stages. There's some here who don't have kids. Maybe they're uncles or aunts. Uh, they have less influence. There are a lot of people who are grandparents. Um, I envy you. I, I look forward to being a grandparent, actually. I, I, some people say, I don't want to be called grandpa. It makes me sound old. I'm looking forward to be called grandpa. I want to be called grandpa. I love, I love to have that relationship. You know, you're, you have less influence. But nevertheless, you're there to, to influence, to love, to care for these grandkids, and then send them home with mom and dad, and you're done, too, which is great. <laughs> you guys are blessed. And some of you guys say, well, I don't even have that. I don't have any grandkids. I don't even have any aunts, uh, nieces or nephews necessary. Guess what? You're part of a church who ministers to kids. And every time we do a baby dedication, what do we say? Not only do we dedicate this child and dedicate these parents, but we turn to the church and say, do you now dedicate yourselves to help these parents? in any way you can to raise them so that they would know Jesus and grow in faith. And that's what we're called to do, friends. I just say, I love my kids, by the way. I, I just, I was talking to a dad a few years back, and not someone here, and he said, I'm just looking forward to the day my kids have grown up and they leave the house. I'm the exact opposite. I'm not looking forward to that day. I wouldn't say I'm dreading that day, but I'm not looking forward to that day in which they leave home and I don't get to see them every single morning as they wake up. Take delight in ministering to your kids. 
Friends, we're making a big deal about kids here at First Baptist. I love that. Kid Town and Nursery, I think, are perhaps the most or one of the most exciting ministries in our church right now. You can see something like 30-something kids upstairs. I remember one person, one critic of our church said, well, they don't have Sunday school anymore there at First Baptist. And uh, that's for somebody who doesn't even attend here. But, um, but I remember thinking, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but the last year we did Sunday school, I know we have some Sunday school teachers who've taught faithfully for many, many years, but the last year we did Sunday school here before the service, we had four kids. We had four kids, that's it. Now we have 30-something kids upstairs doing ministry. We changed the format, but ministering to our kids is absolutely a priority. And I would say this, friends, pray for us as a church as we seek teen ministry and college ministry. We really need to move better in that direction. It's a huge opportunity right here in our church, but right here in our city as well. We need God's guidance and God's provision to really be able to minister to our teenagers and to those who are in college as well. Our job here as a church is to strengthen families, not just when we're gathered, moms and dads, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, as they go back into their homes. Ministries for families in particular. Friends, as priests, we are called to ministry, especially to our families. We're called to minister as priests to God, first and foremost, in the sight of God, and to one another. The overflow goes from us outward to other people, and in particular, to our spouse, and we're called to be faithful to, and to our kids, and we're called to influence. After we get worship right, it's time for us to start thinking about ministry, which comes next. How do we serve others? And we're all called to be ministers. I don't know if there's any visitors here today, but I would say this. This is an awesome church family. <laughs> I've been with this church since I was 14 years of, uh, 14 years old, and I would just say ministry is happening here. People are being ministered to here. Marriages are being ministered to here. Kids are being ministered to here. People are being ministered to here. Our first priority is worship, but then we're ministering outward to one another. Miracles are happening here. We have to watch that happen all the time. And mission is happening here as we're seeking to reach our city. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Father, thank you that you have called us to do the work of ministry, which is serve. And that is a work that you call to each and every Christian. Father, I think that we have done such a good job in many ways. And yet there is a challenge before us, Lord, to minister in other ways. Help us to continue to serve, first and foremost, you. Let you be the priority, Lord, of our worship and of our ministry. That we would walk with integrity as priests, like the early Levites, Lord, who walked with you in peace and uprightness. Lord, I pray that that overflow of our relationship with you would therefore then extend in ministering to one another. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen us, those here who are husbands, to minister well to our wives with the love of Christ, and those who are wives to minister well to their husbands. And those who have kids, whether kids still in the home or perhaps kids who are grown, that you would give us wisdom how, well, how to minister well to our kids. Father, we can't do any of this without you and without your Spirit's present presence with us strengthening us, equipping us, 
and enable us to do what is truly beyond us. So we look to you in prayer for your grace going forward. In Jesus' name.